Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. All right. Good morning, church family. I'm excited to get in the Word. You guys love the Word of God, yes or no? Amen. Uh, we are starting this series, and uh, we actually got a lot of input on the different subjects within the series that we wanted to cover uh, from ideas that you guys gave us back during candlelight. And so I think this is going to be very practical and hopefully very relative uh, to your everyday lives. How many of y'all know that kids break stuff? Anybody in the house recognize that kids break stuff? Uh, yeah, I, my kids break stuff. I, I remember, though, when I was a kid, I broke stuff. I, I don't know if you can relate to that. I broke a lot of stuff. And some of you, maybe you never broke anything when you were a kid. And that just means that you're boring and you didn't have any fun growing up. But I remember when I was younger and when I broke something, First of all, I always had a little bit of the fear of God hit me, also known as the fear of my dad, uh, because I knew depending on what I broke, I could be in trouble, right? But once we process, processed through that, kind of got through that whole part of it, it was always the same thing. How are we going to fix this? And a lot of times it meant we went and got some tools. We got something and we fixed it. How many of y'all remember back in the day when we used to fix stuff? Like we use our hands and stuff to fix things. Like I, some, somehow, somewhere in there, this skipped a generation. Like now, when something breaks, we just go to Amazon and order a new one and it shows up tomorrow. We just replace it all together. How many of y'all remember that car manuals used to be like really complicated? Like car manuals used to actually help you fix some difficult things on like, how do you change out an alternator? You know, how do you change out brake pads on your car? Like they actually helped you maintain your own car. Car manuals nowadays say stuff like don't lick battery acid. Yeah, that, that, that's where we've come to as a culture. I will say this, we have become a throwaway society. Instead of fixing things, we just toss them out and look for new ones. And we do this with things, but we also have a tendency to do it with people too. When relationships are broken, instead of putting in the work that it takes to fix those relationships, we have a tendency just to toss them aside. When God really wants to restore those relationships that we have. God knows that sometimes things break. God knows that sometimes we break and he wants to help us fix those things because those things are the most important, our relationships. It says this in Psalm 103, 14, for he knows our frame, meaning he knows how, what we exist of, what, what, how we're made up, what, what our personalities are. He knows our frailties. He knows the areas of our life where we can be vulnerable and susceptible he knows all those things. Because of Jesus, there isn't anything that happens around our lives that he doesn't understand, can't relate to. He knows those things. 
He remembers like that our life is frail, that we are dust. Even the toughest humans at one point or another, they're going to have a fragile frame, a fragile relationship. We're made from dust. So today, specifically, I wanna look at the subject of reconciling broken relationships. Another way you can say it is conflict resolution. So I want you to turn your Bibles. Our main text is gonna be in Genesis 25. There's a lot of chapters that we're gonna look into following that chapter, but that's where it starts. I think one of the key elements to a strong life is learning how to navigate conflict and relationships and how to do it well, how to do it the way God would want us to. So I wanna laser in on some biblical principles that can help us reconcile the different broken relationships we may have in our lives because life is all about relationships. The longer you live, the more you understand that. And I've seen this over and over again. I, I've been a pastor long enough and have been around enough people that have passed away. I've been at the bedsides of enough people that are taking their last breaths to know that when it all comes to the end, it all is gonna boil down to the people. I've never been at somebody's bedside as they're looking at facing eternity and had any of them say, hey, will you please bring me all my awards? certificates. I've never had any of them like, hey, I want to make sure that you have clear instruction on how to take care of my brand new truck. Hey, uh, make sure that my duck lease, deer lease doesn't get sold to somebody that's an idiot. They don't talk about stuff like that. They just want to have the people that they love around them. And, and sadly enough, sometimes the very people that they want to be near them are the very relationships that are broken that they never let God heal while they still had the time. Relationships are the most important thing that we have. But here's the problem. The problem is no one ever really taught us how to navigate conflict. Like how do you patch up that brokenness? Most of us, let's just be honest, our parents weren't that great at this. I mean, there was a lot of times where it was very clear that my parents did not know how to, how to navigate confrontation very well. And as a result, it led to their divorce. A lot of us can relate to that story. There wasn't a class, right? Like that, sh that should be an elective how to deal with confrontation and conflict with people. But we don't have that, so we didn't learn that anywhere. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, you're married. And I know that within the context of marriage, at least for all of you, not as much for me, there's a lot of conflict, okay? Not, for, not with us, baby, but I know all these people, tons of conflict. And then... You're just trying to figure it out. What do I do? I find it funny, in conflict, in relationships, there's typically skunks and turtles. And one is a turtle and they just kind of put their head down and hide away, but watch out, they'll snap your finger off if you're not careful. And then you have the skunks that just spray their stank all over the place. And what I find is skunks and turtles always marry each other. 
like they always do. As a matter of fact, skunks, I want you to point at the turtles around you. Point at them right now. Point at them. Who's the turtle? Somebody's a turtle, okay? And then turtles point at the skunks, okay? Not that finger, not that finger. But that's the way it goes. Here's the thing. When you're mature in the word, you understand that opposites can attract. There will be seasons that opposites attack, but you can also reinforce each other and build an amazing life together when you're mature in the word, when you're mature in the things of God. Look, I'm not worried about the opposites that exist around our church and in relationships and marriages as long as they are progressing and maturing and growing. I worried about the people who never change and remain exactly the same because as they get older, they get bored with each other. And when that happens, they justify because of how they feel a lot of decisions that would not line up with God's word. Look, Cody and I are pretty different. My wife and I were pretty different. In some respects, we're, we're similar, but in a lot of ways, we're different. You could say, man, we're like a spoon and a fork, okay? But then she would correct you, and she'd say, no, we're like a fork and a knife. And she's the knife. Because I know she's sweeping at any moment. She can cut me, okay? But we're different. We're different. But we have to figure out, according to the word of God, how he works through our differences to actually build his kingdom. But we can't surrender to the lies of the enemy. And Mark 3, 25 says this, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. The King James Version says it this way, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Okay, so that applies certainly within the context of your house, your home, your marriage, but it also exists within any relationship. It certainly exists within the body of Christ. There has to be unity. You're gonna need this in marriage and raising kids, with the in-laws, with sports teams, in school, community, your job. And no doubt at one point or another, you're gonna need it around the body of Christ. You're gonna need it around the church. And in the Bible, there's this long story the thread of conflict and tension in the book of Genesis that winds up going eight chapters. And it's the story of these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And the, the conflict between these two gets so severe that their mom sends one of them, Jacob, away because she felt so strongly that because of the bitterness and the anger and the hatred that was coming between them, that Esau was gonna wind up killing Jacob and then Esau would be put to death for first-degree murder because that was the Old Testament law. If you kill somebody, you get killed. And this tension, it's unresolved and unreconciled. It goes on for 20 years until God himself, a lot of theologians believe that this is one of the instances where Jesus, the Prince of Peace, showed up in the Old Testament to help deal with this conflict. And I think this story can show us a lot about how to deal with conflict and it'll show us the way towards reconciliation. A few reasons why conflict happens and why conflict was happening in this story. First of all, there was unbridled competitive spirit that became a rivalry. In Genesis 25, 23, it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. 
when the time came for her to give birth, there were two twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That would freak me out a little bit, quite honestly. Like, okay, they already look like grub worms when they come out, but like a furry grub worm coming, I mean, it would just, I'd be like, doctor, is everything okay? Like, do I need to know something? Okay, and then, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, his hand was grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. So they came out of the womb fighting for first place. You have to be able to recognize this in your world. You've got to put a check on this. It can happen in your family. It can happen in your career. It can certainly happen around church where you are fighting to be first. And the truth is competition is great as long as you know that you're on the same team. Because when you understand that, you can make each other better. You can become a cut above, but if you don't, you're gonna wind up cutting each other down and eventually you'll just cut each other out completely. We are partners because an unbridled competitive spirit creates enemies really fast. And by the way, the body of Christ, the church has to get this right too. Other churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ are not our competition. They are our partners in building and extending the kingdom of God. And I hope that it's clear that that's the way we see it around here. That's why we pray for other churches. That's why we partner with other churches. That's why we help other churches as much as we can. God's not coming back for New Life Church. He's coming back for his bride. And we have to work together. We have to celebrate the, the differences of the flavors that we have. But I did specifically say every church that is preaching the word of God unapologetically because there are some out there that are no longer, and quite honestly, they are no longer churches. They are something else. But every church that is lifting high the name of Jesus and unapologetically preaching this word, they are our partners in ministry. We have to see it that way. Another reason was there are physical and personality differences that we don't celebrate. Esau is hairy. Jacob is clean cut. Esau is outdoorsy and smells like deer scent. Jacob has an Etsy account. Esau makes some mean beef jerky. Jacob is really into culinary arts and can make a, a mean vegetable goat gumbo. Esau becomes a daddy's boy and Jacob becomes a mama's boy. And the problem is when a competitive spirit, but also the spirit of comparison that steals joy, that kills relationships, creeps in, that's when deep wounds start to happen in any relationship, and that's what happens here. God has made each of us so unique, but we struggle mightily celebrating how uniquely and wonderfully each of us are made. And seeing the fact that we need those unique differences around us so that we can all accomplish what God has for us. I have four kids and my four kids are all very different. Very different. I, 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 I would say it this way. They are all easy and they are all hard. It just depends on the day. On any given day, half of them are going to heaven. It just depends on the day. There's no telling when a demon will manifest in one of them and then they tag team. And the next day it's like, oh, now it's your turn. They are different, but I love watching the uniqueness of their personalities and what God has placed inside of them. 
and how he has uniquely created them. And even in the most difficult seasons, when you see them the way Christ sees them, you can see, man, that is a strength that God is going to use in a powerful way. We don't all need to be alike. We have to build a life-giving culture around our differences. When everyone thinks the same, eventually no one's gonna think at all. And we need the diversity that we have. Also, morality eventually gets exposed. That created some tension. Jacob lives up to his name. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, and he manipulates to get his way. Esau doesn't have the favor of God in his life. His flesh drives everything that he does. He's rebellious. He gives away his birthright, which is a form of rebellion for, for almost nothing, like he didn't care about it. And just to spite his parents, just to tick off his parents, he marries the wrong woman, just to, just to make his parents angry. And here's the deal. This is when it's gonna get real in relationships and with your family. That's when there is real spiritual incompatibility. Like when that's driving the tension, that gets real. When someone's not living biblically or they're in rebellion or they're walking away from Jesus or they're choosing a different unbiblical lifestyle, every single one of us are gonna face this at one point or another in this room. It's gonna happen with someone that we love, that we care about. You cannot escape it. It also doesn't mean you throw those relationships away. And I think one of the most important things for you to remember when you're facing that, you're a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. I was given the grace and the patience. I was given the embodiment of God's definition of love so that I could work through my issues. It is our responsibility at a minimum to give that same grace and definition of love to the people around us that are struggling, that are creating the tension of spiritual incompatibility that can happen. A lot of times money gets in the way. That's another issue. Jacob stole Esau's blessing. And at the end of Isaac's life, he couldn't see anything. He couldn't even tell who was in the room with him. His senses were dull. And Jacob, he went and he pretended that he was his older brother. Now Esau was only older, like by seconds, literally. But he put on a show, he put on a costume show. He even went in there smelling like his brother, put on some Brute 33 so he could smell like his brother. And, and it was that thing, it was the inheritance that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. That broke that relationship. I've seen this a few times. When people pass away, even at funerals, like even without the, the, the ceremony being over, people start fighting and arguing over who's gonna get what. The knives come out and it can turn into a Jerry Springer episode quicker than anything. And it gets really sad. There's instantaneous wedges that happen. That's why the word says that it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of it, the idolatry of it that creates evil. And you see this happen in this relationship, especially with Esau, there's self-pity. Like somebody mistreated me, somebody hurt my feelings. Another way to say this is a victim mentality. And that victim mentality partnered with envy, go home, they shack up, they have a baby named bitterness. 
And bitterness has killed more people than the KGB. It is deadly. And that happens a lot of times, especially around money. And Genesis 27, 41 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, and not just to himself, because we're reading it, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. That got dark. That's just how dangerous, evil, that this hate can be. It says it this way in the New Testament, James 4, 1 through 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, understand this. What you need to ask God for is not the money. It isn't those things that you think you're fighting about, what you need to ask God for is peace and wisdom and freedom and grace and love. Because if you get those things from God, the things that you were fighting about and you were envying over will become a non-issue because you'll have a kingdom focus and a kingdom mindset. And then you walk in freedom. Then you walk in freedom. So some things about conflict. First of all, you gotta face it. You gotta face the conflict. This tension hung around, like I said, for 20 years. That just goes to show you that time does not heal all wounds. Whoever said that has never been shot through an artery because sometimes you just bleed out if you're wounded. And it can certainly happen relationally and spiritually. Time doesn't heal all wounds, Jesus heals all wounds. But you gotta invite them into it. The wounds must be addressed and you play a role in it. God will put you in a position and sometimes over and over again so you learn your lesson where you have to face your biggest conflicts. Moses faced the Red Sea, David faced Goliath, Joshua faced the wall of Jericho, Elijah faced Jezebel, the Hebrew children, the fiery furnace, Paul faced Caesar, Jesus faced the cross of Calvary. This cup is not gonna pass by you, you're gonna have to face it. You're gonna have to face it. Conflict is never resolved accidentally. It's always intentional. You're gonna have to make a move because it's not gonna resolve itself. The only way to reconcile relationship is to face the conflict. You're gonna have to face it. You can pray about it, but I find, man, I've just been praying. I've been praying forever, okay? Your move. You pray, God equipped you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you the fruit of the Spirit. Move. It's your move. You can't go over it, around it, bury it, wait for it. You've got to face it. And Jacob gets to a point where he finally has to. In Genesis 32, starting in verse six, it says this. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him to two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group will be left and may escape. Then Jacob prayed, oh God, he finally gets it right. Sometimes this happens to me too. It's like my initial response is strategy. My initial response is my idea until I realize, you know what? I should pray about this. 
I should probably bring this to the creator of the universe. And he finally did. Then Jacob prayed, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And he says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. He's recognizing his position before the Lord. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand on the sea, which cannot be counted. Sometimes we need to slow down, get in the presence of God, remind ourselves about what he says about us, what his word says about us, get centered around our identity in him and invite him to actually start helping with the real issue. And that's what he finally does. He gets in there. Jacob has a ton of fear. It's been going on for 20 years, but he finally takes it to the Lord and he goes to a place of prayer. And some of you, you have conflict and relationships with people that you love right now and you're letting it fester. Don't let it do that. Take it to Jesus, take it to prayer, face it. You're gonna have to face it. Also, wrestle with God. Chapter 32, verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is where a lot of theologians believe this might have been Jesus. It says an angel, but it could have been Jesus. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, so, I mean, Esau might have been the, the outdoorsy guy, but Jacob can hold his own. He wrestled with an angel all night, okay? He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that he, his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Going to verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. There's a lot more in there, but this is why you need to go to God because God will use conflict to change you as much as you might be worried about the other person needing to change. What I find is that conflict, a lot of times, it's like a car wash for your soul that you gotta drive through. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but if you will go through it, you will come out the other side a different person. This changed Jacob. It literally changed his name. His name went from being Jacob, the manipulator, the liar and deceiver, to Israel, prince of God, or prince with God, which was really who he was all along. That's who God had created him to be. A lot of times, what I find is my earthly conflicts with people are just a reflection or indicative of some of the conflict that I'm having in my identity and relationship with God. That's what's really going on. And what I find is he will show you where you are at fault. Like you've got to own some of this, where you're wrong in this. And even if it's only 4%, you have to own that 4%. There's a tremendous amount of freedom and liberty and personal responsibility. You are a captive when you refuse to own what you need to own. When you start seeing you say, look, at, at bare minimum, I have to be responsible for that. When you make that your focus, then you will humble yourself. If you don't, God might cause you to have a limp. 
And I just want to tell you this. It is much better to humble yourself before the Lord so he doesn't have to humiliate you so you walk humble. But when you see that, all of us, when we encounter God, we will walk different. And his desire is that as we see our responsibility, we walk humbly in that, then his Holy Spirit becomes our counselor and the crutch that helps us with our limp. But we've got to get to that place where you say, God, what do I need to see? What do I need to work on? One of our campus pastors told me that he never knew that he had bad breath before the pandemic. And he was always so offended at other people's bad breath. But the first time he put on one of those N95s and he got to breathe in his own breath, he decided from then on he needed to just work on himself and start po stop pointing the finger at other people. Man, that's a great picture for some of us. Sometimes we are very busy pointing at the, the, the injustice or how the other person has caused this conflict and this issue. We need to look in the mirror and make sure that it's not our issue that might be adding to the issue. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. We'll heal relationships if we'll walk in humility. Depend on God to help us. And you need to know this. Your personality is not going to be enough. Your wisdom is not going to be enough. Your experience, your knowledge is not going to be enough. You're going to need to depend on God. God, help me with my words. Help me with my tone. Help me with my body language. Help me, God. Help me in that moment. I invite and am utterly dependent on your presence helping me. When you wrestle with God, what can happen is conflict can go from my way versus your way versus maybe we can figure out our way to, no, we get to walk in God's way. We can walk in God's way. So here's a good recipe. You might wanna write this down. Maybe this is a, a, a good process. Talk to God. Focus on yourself. Ask for advice, godly counsel. And then set up a peace conference. You're gonna need to have a conversation. And don't do it through text. You may need to write some things down so you can get your thoughts together. But because 80% of communication is nonverbal, if you try to do it all through text, you can still be misunderstood and you're not gonna, you can sometimes create even more conflict. At one point or another, it's gonna need a phone conversation, bare minimum, but set face to face and let the power of God work in that conflict. Psalm 91.3 says this, Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler. That word snare throughout the word of God in the original, original Hebrew is the same word for offense. One of the greatest traps and baits of the devil is to get us offended and stay in offense. The fowler is the enemy. And he's trying to use that offense. But if you will go to God, this says two things. He will help you avoid offense altogether. But if you get in it, he'll untangle it. He'll rescue you from it. And I find that dealing with it, going in and having these tough conversations is one of the greatest ways to set you free from offense. The last thing is this, be the blesser. 
probably the most difficult thing in one of these situations, but also the most powerful. Be the blesser. Chapter 33, verse 8 says, Esau asked, What is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes. Okay, that's Jacob. Jacob is presenting him with this. He said, But Jacob said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob, in his humility, is blessing in every way that he knows how to. Esau missed out on the blessing from his father because of Jacob, but he gained much more than that, more than he ever could from his brother. A complete turnaround in this relationship. God healed the whole thing. The sad part is it took 20 years. It didn't have to take that long. I like how the word of God sets up these worst case scenarios though because there's no one in this room can be like, you don't understand my situation. If you knew what I was going through, if you knew the conflict that existed, well, I'm, here's one that probably beats yours. And even as long as it's taken, maybe some of you have got a story, your conflict's been longer than that. I'm thankful that God can still heal it. So Jacob is making this decision, I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna bless with my words. I'm gonna honor him. And with action, I'm gonna give tangible representations of my heart change. My desire is to bless my brother. And James 3.18 says this, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of goodness. Man. That's powerful. Seeds of peace. So what are those things? It's your words. It may be gifts. It's acts of kindness. It's publicly honoring those people even when they've mistreated you. How do you do that? You know the issue is most of the time that I find with conflict? The issue is one or both people involved with that conflict do not see themselves the same way that God sees them. That's at the basis of it. Fundamentally, that's what happens. Because when one or both of those people finally surrender, make the decision that they're gonna see the other person the way that God sees that person, it changes the whole dynamic. But usually the issue is they have to see themselves first the way that God sees them. Why? Because you cannot try to be a sower of peace if you don't understand the peace giver. You cannot give grace if you're disconnected from the grace giver. You can't give mercy when you're disconnected from the fact that you have been given unwarranted, unmerited grace and mercy. So a lot of times, the reason why these conflicts are so powerful is because of the titles that exist within them. The reason why conflict in marriage is so difficult is because that's your spouse, that's your husband, that's your wife. They were supposed to be the person that was going to love you, have your back the most. I would suggest that there will be some times when you will not be able to resolve conflict based on that title. There is one title that you can always approach that'll give you 
a perspective of grace and mercy. And that is, they are, if nothing else, a son or daughter of the King of Kings. And if I am a son or daughter of the King of Kings and I have an understanding and a revelation of that, then there is no amount of grace. There is no amount of forgiveness. There is no amount of mercy that I cannot extend because I've been extended it. I can give it. And when you understand that, then that is the doorway. That is the humility. That is the humbling process that will allow you to walk into that situation with your motive pure. Because at that point, your motive is, I want to be right and they need to see it. My idea of conflict resolution is them walking away saying, you were right. Guess what? That ain't gonna work. And it definitely doesn't work on Facebook. You're never gonna prove anyone wrong or change anyone's mind in that situation. But if you will enter into it saying, I was off, this is where I was off. And I wanna own that and I wanna apologize. But I also need to let you know, you hurt my feelings. It hurt me. I forgive you, but we have to face this thing. And the reason why we have to face this thing is because God has called both of us as sons and daughters of the kings of kings to work in unity to build his kingdom and fulfill his purposes. And nothing is more important than that. And we're not gonna let the enemy, our personal offense, our feelings, our emotions, our rights, our anything else stand in the way of us accomplishing God's will for our lives. That's why we have to confront this thing because there's an eternal purpose that is at risk if we don't find unity and resolution and healing. You can't always be responsible for how the other person reacts. I've said that before. You are responsible to do your part. And at the end of the day, if they say, up yours, I'm done. That is between them and Jesus. And you can release them to that. But guess what? You still bless them. Your prayer is not God rain down fire and conviction. Bring down the hailstones that you brought on the Egyptians so that they might repent. No, God bless them because what they are missing is they are missing how much you love them. There is an identity crisis at work and I know that the only thing that's gonna change anything is for them to have a real, true encounter with you. Bless them, Father. Bless them, bless them so much it doesn't make sense and they can't ignore the fact that your mercy and your grace is poured out on them even though they may not deserve it. Bless them, Father. You pray those kinds of prayers for the people that you have conflict with, the most important thing is gonna change, it's gonna change you. But prayer works too. And sometimes, sometimes, a lot of times, Holy Spirit's gonna work in them and you can have reconciliation. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I love how the word of God says it's like a double-edged sword. It says that it cuts through and it separates flesh and spirit. What a great picture. It doesn't always feel good to get cut. But sometimes cutting has to happen so that you can see what is eternal and what is temporary. And I believe the word of God is cut. It's cut through to the middle of some of us this morning and it's revealed, man, I have let my flesh boss around my spirit in the, in the middle of this conflict, in the middle of this relationship. I've let my flesh boss around my spirit instead of letting the spirit of the living God 
take authority over my flesh and I can see it now and I'm determined and I'm going to walk in humility and I'm going to call on God to help me get in alignment with his spirit and his word so that as far as it depends on me, I can create a bond of peace and unity and reconciliation. And some of you might need somebody to partner with you in prayer for that. Our prayer team is up here and here just a little bit. It may be that you're dealing with a conflict and it may have been going on a long time. It may have started this morning and you wanna get ahead of it right now and not let a seed of bitterness find its root in your heart. And whatever it is, sometimes you need people to believe with you, but I also find that when you confess that there's an issue, that's when the humility can come in and the spirit of God can begin working in a situation. And some of you need to do that. We're gonna worship the Lord one more time. And it's a great time for you from the perspective of you realizing and recognizing that you have some ownership within this conflict. You have some ownership in that broken relationship that is not reconciled. You have ownership in that. And when you can see it from that perspective and you can declare the name of God in worship, then it'll help you get submitted under his will, his plan, his purpose. Either way, it's time to move. It's time to move. You've got to face this thing. Wrestle with God all you need to so that he can show you and touch you so you walk different, but it's time to face it. But I find, like I said, there are some of you right now that you have dealt with conflict your whole life and you're dealing with conflict even now. And the problem is you cannot reconcile. You can't bring true healing to those relationships without knowing the true healer, without having a relationship with God. And some of you, even now, you're recognizing the Spirit of God's been telling you that you are disconnected from relationship with God. And that's one of the number one contributors to all the relational angst that you've faced your entire life. You don't have a relationship with God. The way that you have a relationship with God is through His Son, Jesus, because His Son, Jesus, as a perfect sacrifice, paid the price for your sin and also the person's sin who you're trying to forgive. And it's until you surrender to him as Lord that all of it can be covered. And as soon as it's all covered, it's gonna give you the grace to start feeling and experiencing freedom, liberty and wholeness in those relationships. But it has to start. His number one priority, it has to start with you. Are you surrendered to him? Have you given your life to him? Is he in control? Is he Lord of your life? And if he's not, Today can be the day of your salvation. And if you know that maybe you have just walked away from identity in him, you've walked away from that original revelation of his grace, his love, and his mercy, and over time it's, you've allowed yourself to harden your heart, situation and circumstance, decisions you've made, it's hardened your heart, but right now you're like, no, I'm gonna go back to the joy of my salvation. I'm gonna rededicate my life to the Lord. Or you recognize, no, I've never had that. I've been completely disconnected, but right now I'm ready to call on Jesus. I wanna give you a chance to respond. In humility, would you be willing to confess it with an act of your free will? Would you put your hand up right now and say, I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. I need to rededicate my life to him. Right now, I'm ready to face this thing. Anyone in this room? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay. All right. Father God, I thank you so much for helping us, for moving God, for every person that's in this place that's making that decision right now to call on you, to surrender their life to you. I thank you that you're faithful. You're meeting with them right now.
And if you know you need that, you just say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I surrender my life to you. I turn away, I repent from my sin, from living for myself, for the world. And I throw myself on your grace, your love and your mercy. God, I need to understand the way that you see me so that I can love other people the way that you love me. Help me with that, God. Help me with that. I surrender my life to you. Thank you that I have a purpose in you. Thank you that I have the hope of heaven. I wanna accomplish everything you have for me. Take my life, take my life. I thank you for it. And Lord, I pray that even as we go into this last song, that right now the, the work that you're doing in different people's hearts is they are feeling the rub, they're feeling the angst, they're even feeling some of the anxiety of thinking about this relationship. God, I pray that they would, all of us would humble ourselves and come before you and say, oh God, help me, help me. I need you, show me, show me what I need to see in myself first. Help me to see them the way that you see them, Father. And I pray that there'd be freedom and liberty in this room, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.